You know, sometimes uh, when I get up to preach, uh, you know, you may not know this, but I feel like I am giving you a message that God wants to tell me. And I just get paid to tell you. And I don't know if that's because God said, that's the only way I'm going to get through to you, Josh. Uh, last week was kind of the same way. I told you about uh, this person in my life that I felt like I was supposed to pray for. And I did not want to. And how much of a struggle it was. And even looking at Habakkuk, I know I had planned to do this for uh, several weeks. And I've been looking forward to it. And I just feel like uh, this is something God has been speaking to me. And I hope that God speaks through you as well. So uh, throughout the past year, I've, I've had a lot of conversations with God, and I've asked God a lot of questions. You know, about a year ago in October was when Leslie was diagnosed with MS. And it's not, I never asked the God uh, the question, why did she get it? Because I know that people get MS. People have seizures. People have heart attacks. I understand that that's just a part of life. But the questions that I was asking had a lot to do with, why now? What, what is your timing? And I know I've talked with Jennifer about this, about why did you allow this to happen? All these things in life are not seeming to, to line up. Um, I've, I've asked God questions about the foster kids that we've had. Uh, the first kid that we had was Ethan. You guys remember little Ethan? We had him for about three weeks. We were supposed to have him for nine months. And you guys all donated supplies to him. I remember boots and snow pants and all sorts of uh, treats and things like that. And it turned out to be three weeks. And I realized that was two years ago, but the question still there is why? And even for myself, for a number of personal reasons, I've asked God, why? Uh, have you guys ever done that? Have you ever asked God, why? Um, why, do, why? Maybe things like, questions like, why does, good, why does bad things happen to good people? Why do bad people get away with their crimes? Why is life unfair? Have you asked those kinds of questions? If you've never asked those kinds of questions, hang on tight, because the time's coming when you're going to want to ask God, why? Why did you allow this? What are you doing? I think pretty much anybody in the whole world with any inkling about who God is, at some point or another, ask God, why? Because we just don't know. Uh, today we're going to be starting the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. Uh, it's only three chapters long. I think it's going to be three weeks long. Um, I sent out an email. I hope that you know where it's at in your Bible. It's not, it's not a big book. It's in the Old Testament. It is hard to find. Uh, I'm not even sure how to pronounce it. I grew up learning Habakkuk. Um, I've heard Habakkuk. Uh, so I'm just going to go with Habakkuk. But it's just, just not a book that we are very familiar with. But through this next three weeks, we're going to look at a a question and answer time between Habakkuk and God where Habakkuk asks God questions, real life questions that he doesn't understand the answers to, and God gives him an answer. And ultimately, at the conclusion of the book, which I think is going to be the conclusion of each message, is that God is ultimately in control and we can trust him in spite of what he allows to happen to us or happen around us. Because in this life, we are going to have doubts. We are going to have worries. We're going to have times of uncertainty that are going to weigh heavy on us and cause us to want to rely on ourselves. And in this message, hopefully you'll be encouraged as God is encouraging me to make sure that I rely on Him. That I remember these three things, that God has a plan and that God is in control of that plan and that God's will is ultimately going to be done. 
I'm going to read Habakkuk chapter 1 verses 1 through 11 uh, before we look into the rest of, before we go into the rest of the sermon. Habakkuk chapter 1 verses 1 through 11. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore the law is paralyzed, and the justice never prevails. The wicked hem me in, or hem in the righteous, so that justice is perverted." Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. They are feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong, their horsemen come from afar. They fly like vultures swooping to devour. They all come bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They deride kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all the fortified cities. They build earth in ramps and capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on, guilty men whose strength is their God. Let's pray. God, this is your word to us. God, you are trying to teach us that you are in control, that you have a plan. And God, I pray that we would realize that in our lives, whether it's something that we are concerned about as far as our nation or something that concerns us personally, God, we would leave today knowing that you are in control. God, I pray for your words to come out clearly. Even if, even if I don't say them, God, please let your words be said as each of us needs to hear them. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing we see is man's questions, Habakkuk's questions to God. Now, who is Habakkuk? Uh, I've searched high and low. I've looked through the Bible. I've looked in commentaries, websites to find as much information as I could about Habakkuk. And there really is not a lot to tell. Um, his, his name means to embrace or to wrestle, possibly because he's wrestling with some of those deep questions in life that he wants answers to. When was this book written? It's kind of hard to tell because normally if you look up Old Testament books, at the start of the book it talks about the kings. And so you can kind of fit it into a timeline of when this took place. Habakkuk doesn't follow that same style. But we can place him probably about 2 Kings 24 after the fall of the last good king of Judah. His name was Josiah. Right before Babylonia or Babel, the Babylons came and defeated Judah. At, at that point is when famous characters such as Ezekiel and Daniel and his three friends were hauled off to Babylon. And we read the famous story of Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So that's, that's what follows shortly after this book. Uh, as Habakkuk is writing this book, he's not writing this book necessarily to a people. Yes, he's going to give these, this book to people or that he's going to share it with them. But his idea is he's asking God real 
life tough personal questions. The book is filled with questions such as how long? Why don't you? Why do you? And as we look through this book, we see that Habakkuk is a man who wants justice. He sees what is going on and he doesn't understand why. He's not looking for justice necessarily for himself or he's not asking so much about how it affects him personally, but he's, look, he's more concerned about the nation that he's living in. And as he's asking these questions, he's watching his nation of Judah go from somewhere up here on a spiritual high, taking this deep, dark slide into sin. And he's asking God, why are you not doing anything about it? Verses 3, uh, 3b and 4, he says, destruction and violence are before me. He says, these guys are getting away with their crying. He says, their strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked him and the righteous so that justice is perverted. There's destruction. There's ruin throughout the city that he's living in. There's violence, strife, and there's conflict among the people. Now, that would make sense had it been an invading nation at that time that's causing problems. But they're not there yet. They haven't done anything. Babylon is still probably defeating Assyria or Egypt on their way to, to defeat Judah. So where is all this coming from? All this destruction, all this violence. It's coming from within the borders. It's coming from God's people. They're the ones who are causing violence. They're the ones who are causing injustice and wreaking havoc and causing disputes and quarrels. It's inside the borders. These are God's people. And Habakkuk wants to know why. <clears throat> he says because of that, because of all these bad things, justice is, is perverted. Wicked, the wicked are winning. They're hemming in the righteous. Justice never prevails. And Habakkuk is pleading with God to intervene. There's two words here uh, that are used in the King James. They both say the word cry. Uh, as Habakkuk is crying out to God, it says, How long, O Lord, must I call out for help? Which in the NIV it says call out for help. In the New King James, I believe it says cry out. Uh, but you do not listen or cry out of violence, but you do not save. Now the, the way this is, you can look at this is the first time he's crying out is he's calling out for help. God, why aren't you doing something? Please do something. Please let me know what in the world is going on. The second time, he's screaming out. He's crying out in a loud voice. His heart is disturbed. God, why? Why are you not doing anything? It's, it's a burden that he's carrying. He's, he's overwhelmed by what God is allowing. And it was, as we're safe here in Fallon County, you know, I feel like it's hard for us to grasp what that really is like. But I want you to picture what you've seen in the news of cities around America where there's rioting going on and there's looting and there's vandalism and there's murders and there's protests between the police and the, and the people. People are getting away with everything. Pick, put yourself in that situation. You're stuck there. How do you feel? Do you feel like you're gonna sleep good at night knowing that all that's going on and that could come to your neighborhood? Do you feel safe walking down the street? Men, are you going to let your wife go to the grocery store by herself? I hope not. I think that's the kind of situation Habakkuk is in. And he knows that God is all-powerful. He knows that God is in control. He knows that God can do something about it. 
But why is God not doing anything? Right now, he's asking God the question, God, where art thou? But Habakkuk isn't the only one who asks God questions. Anybody here ever ask God questions? I do. I just admitted it. You know, I, I think uh, probably everybody has. Uh, you know, with the situation with Leslie, with her MS, um, I remember talking with Jennifer about really, really being confused because we started out when we came here. You know, where life was fine and we decided we were going to do fostering. And so we had some kids and then... Uh, those weren't working out. They kept going home. We really weren't getting calls. And so the opportunity came for school. And we prayed, God, do you want Leslie to have this job? If you want her to have it, please let her get it. Well, you guys all know she got the job. Well, then what happened a month later or two months later? All of a sudden, she has this huge flare-up of MS that she didn't know she had. And so then she's sitting at home going, what in the world are you doing, God? And so now we have Mali because God was able to use that. But through that whole process, we're asking God, what in the world do you, are you doing? Do you know what you are doing? Because this doesn't make sense to us. I'm sure that you have asked God questions. You have called out to God. You have cried out to God, please give me an answer. You know, maybe your questions are health-related. I mean, like personal issues. Nobody else maybe even knows. Uh, it's, a, it's a medical issue. And I can think of people who, uh, in our church, or people that I've known, uh, even family, that have medical issues. And I want to ask God, why? Maybe you're just struggling with financial issues. And you, you, you've tried to make ends meet, and things just aren't ever lining up. Why, God? Maybe it's a family thing. There's no reconciliation. Why, God, are you not allowing this to work out? Uh, maybe it's a question concerning work issues. You know, there's, there's some coworker or, or there's, some, there's somebody else that I work with that is doing a crummy job. They're, they're getting away with all the, the wrong that they're not supposed to do. How come, God, you're not making this work out, that they are getting caught? Maybe it's the market. You know, it's, it's calving season. We're supposed to be selling our calves. And how come, God, I'm not getting a good price? Maybe you say, you know what, it's a bigger issue, Josh. Uh, questions concerning national issues. How come, God, you allow 125,000 or more abortions every single day? Why? And then you have couples who try constantly and cannot have a kid. Or people who want to adopt one and won't get one. Why do you do that? Why do you allow 20 million people to be human trafficked slaves right now? 20 to 40 million is what they estimate. Why aren't you doing something? And then with this COVID crisis, why did this ever have to come, God? What did we do to deserve this? How come that problem there came here? How come it's affecting all of the whole world at the same time? We all have questions of some sort. I have questions, and I guarantee you have questions as well. God has those answers. But the tough thing is that God does not always answer our questions how we want. He doesn't always give us an audible answer. Uh, in this passage, he does that for Habakkuk. Even though as I, I hear the answer that God gives him, it, he, it, to me, it just opens up a world of a lot more questions that are not recorded. But God does give answers. I'm not going to read this whole answer that God gives back to Habakkuk. We've read it once. Uh, but I want to talk about it a little bit. But the thing is, Habakkuk asked God a question. And God was not offended. 
God was not put off. God doesn't rebuke it back and say, how dare you trust me because I said so, just like a parent, right? Because I said so. He doesn't do that. He doesn't tell him to go away and come back with a better attitude. He doesn't threaten to wipe him off the face of the earth. He just tells him this is what he is going to do. And this answer that Habakkuk gets isn't what he's expecting. You know, probably what he's expecting is, we as a nation of Judah are deserving punishment. We as a nation have completely walked away from God. You can read, uh, uh, even in Zephaniah, you can read about how they're worshiping um, pagan gods. There's idolatrous pe uh, priests. They bow down on the roofs to worship the starry host. Uh, they swear by Molech. They turn back from following the Lord. They, they've had the true and living God, and they're doing everything the opposite of what they have grown up, what God has given his people to follow. So he probably says, I know that we deserve a punishment. Um, you know, maybe God will give us a new king. Josiah was a good king, and he died. Maybe you can raise up a new king. Maybe you could just punish us for a while by your hand and, and let us... Be back to being your people. But he does not expect the answer that God gives him. Sorry, Habakkuk. You're going to have to go through this. And by the way, I'm going to use another nation to, uh, to punish you. A Gentile nation that's worse behaved than the, the nation of Judah, that wants absolutely nothing to follow God. They, they're following their own muscles. They're following their own ways. And Habakkuk is stunned. He is shocked. How in the world can you do this to us? How can you do this to your people? It says in verse 5 that uh, look at the nations and be utterly amazed. I'm going to do something in your day that you wouldn't believe even if I told you. He is stunned. He is shocked that God is going to do this. And look at this description of these people. They're not just bad. These are really bad people, the Babylonians. Verse 6, they have a bad reputation. It says, I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people. Impetuous means I'm just going to do whatever I want at the moment without thinking about it. They sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. They are feared and dreaded people. They are law only to themselves and promote their own honor. They have a reputation and everybody's afraid. They, they were known as the first great world power. If you read the book of Daniel, when there's that big statue, Babylon was the gold head on top, the first world power of that time, and they were flexing their muscle, and they were taking out everybody. They were a devastating army. They were, they were a massive army of horses bent on evil, or uh, the people bent on evil, the horsemen. Uh, they came from afar. They're like a, a vulture swooping to devour and they gather prisoners like sand. Like, this is no big deal. I'm just gathering my hands in the sand and picking up people. And that's what they were doing. And they were hard on people. They didn't, they didn't care who they killed. They didn't care how it affected everybody. They were just all about winning the war. And it didn't matter uh, anything else uh, that they, as far as their their governing of the people went. They were a terrible people. And they, uh, I've heard that they've learned it from the Assyrians. Uh, who they defeated. And the Syrians were the people who came up with the cross. That Jesus ultimately, that's, they learned how, how to be bad from the Assyrians. And then I think they, they, were, they enjoyed that and they, they just took it to a whole new level to, to conquer the whole world that way. And they, were, they had a cocky attitude. 
Just what you want in the enemy, right? Somebody who has a bad reputation, who's winning every fight, and has a cocky attitude about it. They were taunting the enemy. They were boasting in their own strength. Uh, their strength was their God. They, they were good and they knew it. And Habakkuk cannot handle this answer. How in the world can you do that? That's what we're going to be looking at next week is question number two. Like, are you sure you know what you're doing? Because obviously that's going to be the question that comes next. But through this all, through God's talking to Habakkuk, after Habakkuk asks God the question, Oh God, where art thou? We learn a lot of things. We are reminded of a lot of truths. I've already told you them once, and I don't think anybody says that's a brand new thought, Josh. But these are so much of Scripture you go over and over again because we forget these things. God has lots of different ways to say the same things to help us make sure that we finally get it. So three things that I want you to remember today. I hopefully remember this week. The next time you want to ask God why, the first one is that God has a plan. You know, verses 5 and 6, God tells Habakkuk, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your days. It hasn't happened yet. He says, I have a plan. I'm going to accomplish my plan. I have something that I have a goal set in mind that I want to do. Proverbs chapter uh, four, I mean, I'm sorry, Job chapter 42, verse 4 says, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. God has a plan. God had a plan for how he was going to deal with the uh, people of Judah, how much, how far he was going to let them go, how, far, uh, how long they were going to be in captivity. God had a plan that couldn't be hindered, prevented, restrained, stopped. But you know what that means for you? Anybody want to take a wild guess? God has a plan for you. You know, I think about my wife. God has a plan for her. Ever since she was born, God has been working out a plan. But he has a plan. He's not like fumbling around trying to figure out what do I do next. He knew it was going to get to this point. But God has a plan of what he wants to accomplish. I think about the abortion clinics. And one of those, those, those places that are make up uh, the place to give up 125,000 abortions, God has a plan for those places as well. God has a plan for those people. He has a plan on how he's going to deal with it. He's not scratching his head. He's not pulling out his hair thing. Oh, what am I going to do? Who's going to give me advice? He has a plan. I don't know what it is, but he has a plan. God has a plan for you. When you feel like in my life I felt injustice, I have felt a loss, I have a heartache in my heart, and I don't know why, God had a plan for you. God has a plan for what he's going to accomplish. He's not running around half-cocked trying to juggle a bunch of balls and what am I going to do next? He already has ordained and planned what he wants to do. So that's the first thing you've got to remember is that, oh yeah, God has a plan. The second thing is that when God has a plan, he's in control of that plan. He didn't just have a plan like, uh, like some of you might have. I'm going, I have a plan to go home and take a nap after church. Because that kind of plan can be a hope. It can be a wish. But you know that those plans can change. You could say, you know what? You know what? I can't go home. <laughs> I can't go home and take a nap after church. Do you know why? Because I already slept during church. 
Just to see who's paying attention, that's all. But you, you know, your kids can disturb you. Somebody can stop by. Somebody can call you and you don't get that opportunity. God has a plan that he is going to carry out. He knows what is going to be accomplished. He talks about the, the Babylonian people that are going to uh, invade Judah. It's about how feared and how dreaded they are. But those people are only going to work within the parameters that God gives them. Kind of like Satan with Job. He says, okay, Job, you can do everything that to Job stuff, but you can't touch him. There's parameters, there's guidelines in there, and he stretched it to the max, but he can only do so much. And then God told Satan, you can touch Job's life, but you can't kill him. And so Satan did as much as he could, but he can only go so far. God has a plan. He is in control of that plan. He's going to make it happen. So I, I uh, Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1. I, it's one of my favorite verses because it says the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He directs it like a water course wherever he pleases. We get a president. We get a, uh, somebody and a, a boss. You know, when we feel like whoever's in charge of us does whatever they want to do. And they, they have all free reign, but really they don't. God's, God's like, here, we're just going to go like this. You know, I want you to go make this decision. I'm going to direct your course to you make that decision. I want you to go this way. I'm going to direct it. It's no big deal to him. It doesn't big, matter how much water it is. He can direct it to where he wants it to go. And so that gives me hope that God is in control of the plan that he has. He's going to direct my life wherever ultimately he wants me to go. And God can bring good things out of a bad situation, things that I don't understand. You know, I think about Leslie. I'm going to probably just bring it up multiple times. And the funny thing is, I didn't even know she was going to be home today with this. You know, it's just, God just put it together. Uh, but God can bring something good out of it. Because had, uh, when Leslie went to school, we said we were done doing fostering. I was not going to be a single dad foster parent. I wasn't going to do it while she was at work. It just wasn't going to work. Um, but obviously the fact that she's home, now we can have Mally. You know, maybe that's going to be a long-term thing. That's what we're hoping. I feel like I'm still going to be sticking my hands in the air asking God why in that situation. But for now, that's the way that it's going. And God can direct things and make it work out. Had she been at school, we would not have Mally right now. God's in control of what happens with the abortion clinics and the people who choose abortions. He knows how he's going to direct those, those people. He knows how he's going to ultimately punish people. He knows how he's going to use those. There's been a lot of people who have had abortions who thought, oh, it's no big deal, who turn around, and they're, now all of a sudden they're fighting for life. They want to make sure that other women don't do what they've done. They want to make sure that they know that that's a, a, they become a biggest advocate. They go from being the advocate of abortion to being an advocate of life. And God knows how he's going to use allowing that decision to be a, turn out to be a positive thing in that person's life. I don't understand God's plan. I don't always in, agree with God's plan. But he has a plan and he's in control of it. So the, and the third, so the third thing here that I want you to remember is that God's will is going to be accomplished, right? Whatever it is that he, he sets forth into motion, if he wants it to happen, it's going to happen. Uh, in 2 Kings chapter 24, you kind of read about how the Babylonian army came and defeated Judah. They kept hauling off people. 
God didn't change his mind. He made that still happen. He says, I, I, set this, I started this plan in motion. I'm in control of the parameters of this plan, and then it's going to complete what I want it to complete. God sees more than we see. I look at that little scenario and think, that's overwhelming. How do you control all that? For God, it's no big deal. He sees the big picture all at one time. It's not about me. It's all about what God wants to accomplish. And nothing is too hard for God. Jeremiah 32, 17, at the bottom it says, nothing is too hard for God. Working within those parameters, who he wants to, to use, whatever plan he sets in motion, it's not a big deal for him. Right? For me, it's a big deal to set up a plan and carry it out. But for God, it's no big deal. But just because God can makes a plan, just because God can do anything, nothing is too hard for him, it doesn't mean that God's going to do whatever it is that we want him to do. You think about Habakkuk. Habakkuk still had to go through his experience. He still had to be there when the Babylonian army came and took out the people of Judah. I mean, it doesn't say what actually happened to Habakkuk. I don't know if he died before that time. I don't know if he fled the country before that time. I don't know if he was hauled off to Babylon. But he didn't get out of it. He's praying, asking God why. He gets his answer. But he doesn't get out of, of going to, of facing this, what God has set into motion. He wasn't rescued. His situation did not change. And so we have to remember that sometimes when you pray and you ask God why, sometimes you still need to ride out the storm, just like Habakkuk did. Leslie has to ride out this storm. We've prayed that the MS goes away, that it doesn't affect her, and right now she's in a storm, and she just has to ride it out. You look at the abortion clinics. We're praying that God shuts those doors, that God awakens people from doing those things, and they still happen. The clinics are still open. They're still being funded. Women are still choosing that option to get rid of life. The injustice that's gone on in your life, the loss, the heartache, doesn't mean it just automatically goes away or feels better. Sometimes you still have to ride out that storm. You know, sometimes when you go through the storm, you get to be able to look back and understand why. At the moment, I feel like I understand why Leslie with her MS and why she got to the school because uh, that was a very, very expensive situation for, for her to have to go through all these tests and all the diagnosis. And so having school pay for the insurance was like perfect timing. And as they were trying to figure it out, she still got paid some money. And so that helped pay for whatever was, rest, was left. How did it happen today? We would be paying for all the MRIs and we'd be like, oh my goodness, this is expensive. I don't think I can handle this. So we can look and say, I think maybe that's why God allowed it, but I don't know. So I can look back and say, I'm so glad that didn't happen because I see why. But sometimes you just have no idea. You have no idea why something bad happened in your life. Why God didn't bring reconciliation. Why God didn't let you know what he was doing and why. But I, so when the next time when you find yourself asking, Oh God, where art thou? I want you to remember the three truths that we just looked at. That God has a plan. He has something specific He wants to do in your life. And He has a plan that He's working your life in with everybody else. God has a plan. He's not just going on a whim. He's not just making it up on the fly. He knows what He is doing. 
And then when God has his plan, he's in control of it. He's going to carry it out. He's going to make it happen. And that God's will is going to be accomplished. <clears throat> you are human, and I am human. All I can see is what is right in front of me right now. I have no idea even what is happening in my house. I have no idea what's happening with Mrs. Wagner. I have no idea what's happening in Davenport. All I can see is you guys right here. That's the biggest picture that I have, right, is this. I don't know what God is doing. I don't know what God wants to do. But that's where I, I get to this, this idea that I need to just trust God to do what his plan is to carry it out, to accomplish what he wants, and that it is better than whatever I want. Now, a lot of people will, will look at God not answering their question as a good opportunity to say, See ya. I'm praying and God's not answering my questions. He's not telling me anything. But we have to remember that God has already proved himself faithful from what his scripture says. God is a God who loves us. God is a God who cares. He knows what we're going through and that we need to trust him. I want to encourage you to do what Habakkuk did. Um, if you have your bulletin, I want you to, you can take it home and hopefully see this throughout the week. Uh, we're going to look at it up here. I'm just going to read it. This is what Habakkuk concluded. Uh, when, he, when, God gave him, when he gave God the questions, God gave him the answers. This is what he concluded is what he should do. He says, though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. May that be what we decide to do when we have questions of God, when we go through tough times in life that we don't understand, is to remember God's goodness. Remember and rest in his unfailing love, his tender mercies, and his sovereign control for our lives. Let's pray. God, you are good. And God, I am so thankful that you are my God. God, you have, you've already done more for me than I could ever ask or imagine. You saved me from the punishment of my sins. And God, you didn't just leave it there. God, you have a plan for my life. And for the situations that are allowed to happen, God, you, are, you have a plan, but you're in control of that. And you're working it out towards, a, for my good, you're working out for the good of everybody who's involved in that situation. So God, I thank you for that. God, I just pray for each of us. God, I know that we, are, I'm sure there's people in here right now who are feeling like, yeah, God, why aren't you answering my questions? God, why aren't you doing what I've asked you to do? God, I just pray that you would uh, answer their, their, their questions. I pray that you would gently remind them that you are in control and that you have a plan and that we can trust you to fill, fulfill uh, what you want. Thank you, God, for being good. And I pray that you'd help us to remember that this week if we face anything in their lives that wants to tell us otherwise. And I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.